Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Well, good evening and welcome to this very special edition of Leaving Hillsong Theatre. This is a rather unusual edition because during the past week the son of the founder Frank Houston, Brian Houston, has been in court being tried for the offence of concealing a serious indictable offence which was covered in an earlier episode. We went through a lot of that process. Now, my dear friend, Jake Elliott, who is running an account on Instagram called The Framework, at the underscore framework zero, where work should be that O there. We attended every day of court this week, and yesterday we sat down and compared notes. Jake was working mostly from an iPad he was typing I've got handwritten notes I was scribbling frantically neither of us are legally trained however I have got some legal support on the side and my understanding is that this is a public gallery and we are allowed to discuss what we saw in the witness box and report it outside or it wouldn't be public we've kept away from speculations or personal opinions as far as possible and so all we are seeking to do is report what took place in the courtroom this week because the mainstream media has really only stuck to the kind of sensationalist headlines a lot of the time and much of that stuff actually came out in the Royal Commission in 2014 so it's not very useful uh, for people who really want to know 
how a court matter like this unfolds. Please go easy on us. This is not perfect, but I believe it's more than you're going to get. Like, well, almost anywhere else. It's a small courtroom. There's not many people there, but there's us. This episode will go through day one and some of day two of the last five days. So thank you so much for joining Jake Elliott and me for part one of the court case. I think it would be a good idea to set a bit of a scene for people who aren't actual local Sydney siders before we start as to what this court situation is like. Brian Houston is being tried in the centre of Sydney, in the Central Business District, in a, um, a court that's usually used for, you know, much more serious matters. It's an old department store from, I don't know, the 50s or 60s, and it's a very fancy schmancy building. Um, it's right opposite of Hyde Park, which is this park in the, in the centre of Sydney, and you know, there's a lot of high-profile cases that are tried there, but they're usually at a at a higher level. So, you know, it's got the grand stairs and you walk in and then there's all the security and the beeping and the put your bag down and stuff and, you know, fancy lights and great lighting and lifts and lawyers and all this important stuff. And when you get in the, the lift and the elevator to go, up to the local court section I was thinking Jake I don't know what you think like into like a a waiting room that's probably the size of an average living room yeah Yeah. like I you know there's four rows of chairs for people to sit in so you then there's like quite a narrow corridor at the end of that and to the left is another long narrow corridor and it feels like you're walking a labyrinth well it's just that you know it's so sort of surreal because Mm -hmm. to the left there are I think you know three courts because it's it's a local court it's for driving or swearing or you know much more you, you know not certainly not high profile cases so when you go in there you know there's a magistrate out the front who presiding there's some court people the, you know, place for the defence, place for the prosecution there. And then there's two rows. What do you think, Jake? Maybe 30 seats there? All in all in public I was there's less than 30 seats. I'd take probably about 20 to 25. <laughs> so, I mean, it's... Yeah. I mean, we were expecting, I guess, maybe we live in a bubble. We were expecting a lot more sort of um, a competition for seats, I guess. And it, it didn't happen to the point where by the end of Friday, you know, there, there were spare seats available. Yeah, I, I was really confused with the layout myself. I walked in, it's very grandiose downstairs. Then you go up into these lifts and it's minimalistic, neutral environment, very boring. You walk into this really small room and I was like, oh, there aren't that many seats, so I was yeah, like, surprised as you. It was quite a surreal jump of room design. <laughs> so, you know, uh, as Drax said to me, you know, is there a, a place for the bride and a place for the groom's guests? And, like, there, there kind of is, you know. There's people for the defence on the left there and various people on the right who 
I mean, we started on Monday morning. There was me up against the wall trying to be inconspicuous, me on the left in the back sitting next to Jake and then well, who turned out to be a man who turned out to be Brian's brother, then his sister, and Bobby and Brian Houston. And it's like it was just, you We're know. Up together. <laughs> many, I mean, many a letter and phone call has been made for, and many a dollar has been donated for that kind of an opportunity. And there we were. Now, I believe wholeheartedly that everybody deserves the you know the respect of the court process to go through so you know there's you know communications or well been a little bit we'll talk about that later but the court man goes like and then everybody stands up or and we do this bowing thing and everyone sits down and there you are you and 20 so uh what's surreal it was really surreal. Grey blue, everything's grey blue. That bluey grey color. Yeah, the, um, that like all that all that I know is designed to not kind of like stimulate or you know be distracting. There's a lot of um, there's elements when it comes to designing rooms like that, so that because color design actually plays a massive, massive factor in the way people yeah, think, okay. operate, and feel. So there's all those all, all that's intentional, and so it was, it was it was very quite humbling, sobering, but there was an element of just surrealism. It was so it was very surreal street and style if you were the first one there it's it's quite an intimidating place but the more people will come into that place it's a bit more uh friendly but when, whenever it was just like him or bobby or people on his side there it was, it was just a bit more intimidating because of the suits as well there was a bit more color coming in with like uh, um, with journalists wearing different colors and it kind of just yeah. helped lighten the mood a bit i think with a bit more of a the colorful personalities colorful shirts and stuff like that coming into the scene it suddenly made the experience a bit more eclectic and a bit more normal rather than this clinical environment i mean i was a part of the church that became your song so i joined with my family when i was 14 so it's not a thing for me to see brian because i remember him from when i was 14 and he i think was 32 and pat Mercedes was 28 and whatever and my dad was a friend and an advisor to these guys. So I just kind of see them through those eyes. And it's, yeah, and I know that, well, you know, when they see me, they don't, you know, they probably see some kids. So it's kind of not that big a deal, but it's obviously a very big deal. You know, I mean, there's a very powerful, influential man, and this is a, a very serious case. What's your, what were you saying before? The last time you saw Brian Jake was, Oh, the last time I saw Brian was at my um, uncle's funeral. I wasn't expecting him to see him there. So it, it's quite, been quite surreal with me and my experience with Brian since leading Hillsong and the CLC movement. It was first time really was the Royal Commission. Second time was uh, going back to the Royal Commission summoning, seeing him there, and then seeing him at my uncle's funeral. There are, there are unusual places to meet. So, I mean... I know he knows my face and my mug is something that people don't forget. I mean, is, do you think he's recognising? Do they know you when they see you? Well, that's what's weird. I I don't think he understands why I'm going to these things. And I didn't understand why really he would want to go to my uncle's funeral. But it kind of makes sense. So when I saw him this time, it was like... That, no, but does he know who you are? Like, would he know your face? Only from those experiences, yes, maybe. 
Okay. No, I mean, yeah. I don't, uh, you know, remember how much yeah. time you actually... We never really talked, but because there's just been an air of intimidation because of the people he chooses to hang around with with suits mm. on. Mm. Uh, I don't feel comfortable having a conversation with him because of those past experiences where this guy is um, elders and board members or people with suits just... Yeah. It's been um, quite intimidating. And there was none of that. It was much more sobering and much more... Really, it was just him and Bobby. We, yeah, we were at the Royal Commission together and, you know, he was flanked by about six men at all times in, of, mm. you know, from my memory, they were sort of wearing all black, you know, Joel LaBelle following him around like that. And yeah. he was certainly not alone at any point. And this is a, a very different setup. All right, so day one was opening statements from the prosecution and the defence I, I don't. I really had difficulty following that because I didn't find Bolton that engaging, and I had difficulty following Bolton's logic. What's interesting is that I found myself explaining a lot to the people because they, they were just hearing stuff, but they couldn't make a connection because it wasn't the proper timeline to follow up this at this yeah. point, the beginning. So yeah. I had difficulty trying to listen because I had reporters going, "Oh, what's this and what's that? Why are they saying this?" And I found myself quietly talking and making notes to them. To, so they understood why things were being said straight off the bat because it was so hard to follow. The public prosecutor is, I think that's a Scottish accent he has there. He's called Gareth Harrison and the defence is called Philip Bolton and he's a what we call a senior counsel. So out of the wig wearers that we discussed when they're very good no, but what is higher, Queen's Council or Senior Council? It doesn't matter. Anyway, this man is a, a high-profile barrister. He would be earning a lot of money, probably $10,000 a day for doing the job that he's doing. He's bald and he's got his ears that stick out. And he, he's, you know, pretty thorough and, and interesting to watch. It, it's an, it, look, it's just such an interesting performance, the whole thing. We, I mean, we watched these opening statements. It's, so it's one, sorry, one count of concealing a serious indictable offence that the accused uh, knew that it was a offence, that the accused knew he had material that could assist in the prosecution of Frank Houston and that the accused failed without good reasonable excuse to bring that to the police. So the prosecution says that uh, there's no dispute of element one. Sorry, my notes are not going to be perfect here. There's no dispute of element one that Frank Houston abused Brett Sengstock. Um, there's no dispute of element three that the accused knew that he had information that would assist police. So... It's elements two and four, which are, did he know he was supposed to report and did he have a reasonable excuse not to do so? Prosecution says he, um, the accused believed that the man was in his 30s and uh, didn't want it reported. That could be one defence. I've got a quote from Bolton saying people can have different ideas and how to respond. So he was really looking at in his defense to say anyone because how how subjective it was and how they perceived the events anyone was in a position to report frank by the looks yeah, of it. It, it was it was a very 
broad kind of statement. Okay. Yep, after the break, says Dr. Stand. So, I mean, it was just so unexpected. Don't you think it was like just so unexpected, Jake? Like we were not expecting to see Frank Houston's most public victim, Brett Sangstock, take the stand on day one. That was pretty emotional, to tell you the truth. <laughs> but it, um, day one, we, you know, we, so Brett had taken one of the Royal Commission pseudonyms during the Royal Commission in 2014. He's known in a lot of documentation as AHA. And he kept his anonymity for a long time and went public a few years ago. So, you know, it's been a it's been an intense journey for him and watching him. And he took the stand again to recount what had happened to him the night before his eighth birthday when he was first assaulted by Frank. It turns out his father was an osteopath and Frank liked those treatments and the family were very heavily involved in the church, the local church, and, and Frank would come to visit from New Zealand and he would stay with the Sangstock family. And, uh, you know, what became um, more public knowledge in this testimony was that Brett's father was a very violent man. And so it really hit me that this, you know, this travelling pastor would have seen a battered child and seen that vulnerability and he talked about being you know he talked about being controlled by frank and by the church and by his family and by the religion uh from the time yeah i mean it, it, the abuse continued from when he was seven up until he was 16 and do you want to jump in on this one or i do um forgive me if i'm a bit emotional about it because it was such a terrible story. I'd never understood from the Royal Commission why that Bible was brought up. And he, what story? Um, about the Bible. So Brent painted the scene when he took the stand. And I've got a quote here, and I remember him saying it. It's so weird watching someone say this. Frank Houston was the first, that was the first night he raped me. <laughs> it was like, wow. It was so, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's, it's horrible seeing someone who's in his 60s say something like that. And he painted the picture that because of that Bible. So that's why it was such a significant icon to him. Because yeah. that and was the time of the first night that it's around his birthday as well. What a birthday yeah. present to receive. It was yeah, just, true, oh, true. just makes it even worse. And then Frank gave him a pile of one and two cent pieces and yeah. he said that was the end of it. Quote, Frank Houston's signature was on the Bible, dropped one or two cents into my hands and that was it. Close quote. Whew. Yeah, I... Not surprised. He uh, he took a break. Sort of, I guess, a quarter of the way into his testimony. It's it's quite a an emotionless kind of courtroom setting. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how courts can be more soothing, but it, it's so I don't know clinical, I guess, in a way. So he had a bit of a break, and then he talked a bit about well, you know, the disclosure. So he had gone off the rails or something that you know the whatever the old saying was and his mother had suggested he go to of all people to go to frank houston for counseling because he was yeah. such a great pastor and during that counseling session you know frank attempted to sexually assault him i don't think the details are necessary brett uh ran out and got into the car with his mother yeah i've got a quote from my um 
she did that. And it was from Brett. We were so heavily involved, my friends, my family. We, we, we were so indoctrinated into this dot, dot, dot. And he was talking about this entire CLC mm. uh, revival stuff that was going on in the 70s and 80s around Frank. So that's why his, it looks like his mother did send him to Frank because it's like, well, who, who else? Who better than Frank himself? Yep. As, you know, essentially his mother, when he said, look, I can't go back to that counselling session, Frank's been molesting me for years. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. His mother's response was, you know, don't you dare think about taking a brother to court. Don't you even consider being responsible for sending people to hell. And then that thought for the bulk of his life was pretty much that was the end of that conversation, although there's been a bit of conjecture about that in court. But essentially Brett, you know, gave testimony that he was way too ashamed, he was way too horrified by what had happened to him to report it to anybody, to tell anybody at all. So this man carried this for a whole bunch of years and then one day his mother rose was at a crusade and it's funny isn't it jake like we're watching these terms getting explained they were for the uh, good old secular courts people have to get definitions of altar calls and crusades and stuff Mm. rose is so moved by kevin mudford affectionately known as mad dog mudford He's this travelling evangelist. He sets up a tent. He throws on the drama. He discloses abuse of his own, I think. And Rose, Brett's mother, is so overwhelmed by this story that she then tells Mudford, I think, first, doesn't she, that her son was abused by Frank? Yep. Or does she tell Barbara Taylor, the pastor who runs the church? So a bit about Mad Dog Mudford. He's a biker, that's all. That's why he had that name. I mean, I don't know that it even necessarily matters, but just... So so from what I understood from how uh, Brett's mother responded, she apparently stood up, said a bit to everyone about this. Okay. And then from what I gathered, 
she then walked out and disclosed to Mumford more privately the details of okay. what happened. So sometimes when it comes to an altar call or an event like this, you say what's right to say face in front of everyone, but then after this service, yeah. you're, you're, yeah. um, you're, you're confiding your past or you're confiding the person who just spoke, going, can you please pray for me for healing or can you please help me with this? Yeah. I really need this disclosure of what I can do. My soul is really upset. She would have done something to that extent. If you're going to put your hand up for something embarrassing, then you're not going to really, like, tell the whole room what you're going through. You'll have a yeah. confidential story later. Okay, so then Mudford. It's a bit more controversial than that because you can't just say, oh, this male guy did this to my male son because of the stigma of homosexuality. Like, that's a big deal. That is a huge deal, having that stigma attached to you as a mother. Like, there is no way you're going to disclose that publicly. Yeah. So then pretty quickly, Kevin Mad Dog Mudford goes to tell Pastor Barbara Taylor, who is running a church of, I don't know, 100 people, I think she said, in a small suburb an hour west of Sydney. And it just so happens that her late husband, which is why she was a pastor now, the husband dies in 1977, she takes over this small church her husband's sister's sister-in-law happens to be Brett's mother. So Barbara Taylor pretty quickly finds out what's going on. Now, yeah. what happens next is up for debate. We've heard different evidence, but the next day Kevin Mudford takes it upon himself to go around to Brett's house to talk about um, these allegations. When he goes to the house... Brett's testimony is that Kevin Mudford is very angry with him. Barbara Taylor turns up, you know, five minutes later. Brett mm -hmm. says that, he, I mean, Brett testifies that Kevin tried to uh, barge into his house. He's saying things like, Frank would never do that. He's a good man. Why are you trying to cause these problems? Brett's very upset. He wasn't expecting, I think it was a Sunday morning. I don't think he was expecting these people. It was to a Sunday morning, yeah. Yeah, he hadn't known the disclosure had taken place by his mother. He felt really, you know, thrown off by that. And, you know, he's hears these people yelling at you now. Barbara Taylor disputed that version, didn't she? I think Brett said that Barbara Taylor was yelling as well. Both of them were yelling. Um, and I think um, Pastor Taylor disputed that. So, And Brett um, did talk a bit about having a black belt at that time. <laughs> well, no, no, I mean... He says Mudford was furious. Frank would never do that. Uh, we need to keep it in-house, let the church deal with it. And then in late 1988-99... So um, I want to stress that Brett Zemstock said he only told his mother back in the um, 80s once about that because he didn't know how to approach it because she, she just went off at him. She was really angry hearing this revelation that Frank would do something like that to him. So he said that he did. He didn't bring it up with her again. You know, he carried that stuff for a, for a, yeah. a, a long time. It's been a series of courageous events for Brett and attempts to fix things, and um, those attempts being derailed. But yeah, that's another and, story. And the, why that, and the reason why that's important was because in 1994, Bolton started really going after Brett's testimony. Because yeah, so Bolton was reading out some diary entries of his mother in 1994, where apparently this was raised again without Brett's knowledge. 
did seem to be a point of contention and it was seemed to be really affecting Brett on the stand. So Bolton literally was really at this point getting Brett worked up about these diary accounts of his mother being read out. No one could read them in the court case, so we were just, it was first-hand new information for all of us. But apparently in 1994, his mother and himself had another massive fight and she was writing in the notes how, why didn't I know about this, about the nature of it as well. I don't know. I think it's just really important to stress that because that was yeah, a, good, a, well, a good while. And those diaries can't be found in the Sangstock family. So it speaks to this uh, nobody knew until 1998. I've got a reasonable quote here. It's not a direct quote, but it was something that he did say um, when Bolton asked AHA, if you asked your mother, and he said, I did tell my mother, she told me to see counselling. I went to Frank. She didn't say anything. We got home. She finally said, I need to shut up, and that she did not want to be responsible for sending anyone to hell. So somewhere in late 1998, early 99, uh, Frank Houston starts calling Brett and, mm. you know, Brett starts receiving, according to his testimony, a, a number of calls from Frank telling him that he wouldn't need to go public with this. No one's going to believe you anyway, at one point he said. And Frank wanted forgiveness. Frank was getting old and, you know, he knew he was going to fall off his perch soon and historian you know a lot of this was covered in the royal commission yeah it's evidence you know this a lot of this isn't necessarily new before the courts but it has been spoken about under oath again by brett again albeit that he is using his name now frank pretty much badgered brett into meeting with him and accepting money and then brett eventually agreed to meet with frank at redfern station in Sydney, but when he saw the green Jaguar drive up with the number plate CLC777, it mm. made him feel too sick and he couldn't go through with the meeting. Yep. There were, it says here, there were more calls between us and he was offered $2,000 a month by Frank for the rest of Frank's life or his life or somebody's. And then we jumped to an infamous meeting at a McDonald's in a, a suburb, I guess, probably 15 minutes away from Hillsong headquarters. Uh, it's called Thornley and it's, yeah, uh, wouldn't have taken them too long to drive from the Hills Christian Life Centre over to Thornley McDonald's. Oh. It was the same green jag that was there when Brett says he turned up and Frank There's was there with Salah. another man uh, that he didn't know at the time. And it's Hillsong a, Elder, Nabi it was, in fact, yeah, it was Nabi Sali, who was the part owner of the Gloria Jeans coffee chain back in the day and a close friend and elder and director and whatever else at Hillsong. He got the good car parks, that's for sure, for the Jag. And and it was there, wasn't it, Jake, that, you know, I've got, I've got this in capitals in my notebook. I was paid money for my silence, I have no doubt at all, says Brett. Yeah. Absolutely. It was an incredibly traumatic experience, not just for AHA, Frank and stuff, but also for Frank Houston. It was awful um, hearing that recount again in court. It didn't benefit anyone, that meeting. It was it was stressful. Uh, Frank Houston was apparently going, where, where, where's this paper? Where's this paper? I can't find it. And he was getting upset. There was meant to be a document that, that, they meant to be, that was meant to be brought. 
and frankly stressed out. And where is it? Where is it? Which is why they ended up signing the nothing. In this meeting, I mean, this just blows me away. It reminds it reminds me of that scene with Samuel L. Jackson, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, where they're going over to shoot those guys in the apartment and they have these long conversation about a burger and it's like, who could eat? And who would eat, like, just during a meeting of that seriousness where you're driving the old man head past to meet with his child sexual assault victim and you've decided to, what, get a quarter pound of value meal while you're there? Like, what? So Brett, you know, Brett turns up, decides to go through with it, and they're, they're sitting there and he says, you know, Navi was eating and he had a napkin and so he said, sign here and keep it, this is between us. And uh, the prosecution said, you know, how did you feel? He said, I was overwhelmed. I was sitting across from my rapist. Like, just common sense. If you knew that the nature of that meeting, there's no way you'd be eating a burger. But if you weren't tired about the nature of that meeting, you'd go, oh, okay, it's just a conversation. So, I don't know. I, I mean, it's bad manners, but, like, on my stomach wouldn't be able to take it. It's rude, but it's just speaks to the coldness to me of these men, you know, their ability to just keep on going. But, but Frank didn't need to tell. Uh, Nabi Salah, he could have just said, I'm meeting up to someone, feel free to grab a burger. Well, (laughs) yeah, I mean, from what I'm hearing, he had been, like, his driving skills had diminished. We'll talk about his dementia diagnosis. You know, maybe he needed that help. Maybe he wanted a witness. Actually, the two or three witnesses gather, there would be some biblical principle there to sign something. Yeah, probably. Uh, Bolton was going on about what evidence Brett Sensdoff actually submit because there was very little on Brett Sensdoff's part. And Brett didn't want to tell anyone because one, he didn't think he'd be believed. But then he got angry when his mother told him. And then next thing you know, Barbara Taylor's involved, Mumford's involved. So when Bolton um, was grilling Brett Sensdoff, one of the things was, what evidence did you submit? Because there's very little that I, we can see. You, you are really relying on your memory. It was out of Brett's leak. And from what he knew, it was Barbara Taylor possibly documenting stuff. It was, it was, he, just, he was just led to believe that other people were doing something behind the scenes this entire time. Barbara Taylor said, oh, the church will be dealing with this. This needs to be done in-house. Don't, don't go to the police. This will be dealt with in the church. I don't know what he could do because he was being harassed by Frank Houston behind the scenes. Yeah. I have had contact with Brett and his incredible wife, Lisa, who's just super cool over the years. And they are... The people that you see, there are, you know, that's them. And Brett's a very, very humble man and his martial arts abilities were mentioned in court this week. I mean, I don't know how many black belts he's got. He's the kind of guy that doesn't talk about that stuff. He's not a big self-promoter. And I found the whole thing really, really hard uh, to watch. I'd never seen a... a um, Brutal. A defence barrister cross-examine a child sexual assault survivor like that or, I mean, much at all in a courtroom and you read about it, but to see it take place, was it was just like a hacking apart, like, you know, just with a meat cleaver hacking this oh, guy. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the defence's job. He says, you know, I'm just, I've only got a, a couple of quotes, but, you know, that, you know, 
your sequence of events has proved to be a problem for you in the past, hasn't it, since you went to the Royal Commission, you know, like, and I mean, so throw in here as well, Brett is 60, he survived stage four cancer as well, and he was subject to what a defence a defence uh, lawyer would do in this situation, but it was very tough to watch. Um, I was proud of him taking that stand because he did cop it really sweet and he stood his ground. Yeah, yeah. He said, and he said, I stand by what I said. That's what I said at the time. That's what I said. There was this repeated, sorry, where the defence was going, you know. But well, this is just your memory, isn't had, it? You had the phone call with Brian Houston and he said, and Brett said that phone call never happened. Yeah, um, yeah. And the defence went, Brian said this, and then Brian said that, and Brian said this, and Brett was like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. He's, I know that he's uh, just a hero to so many more people than he'll ever know. And I know a lot of people want to send him strength and love and their gratitude. So fingers crossed, Brett, if you're listening. And, and, and Lisa was there. Legend. I can't imagine what she was going through watching that happen. So yeah, incredible. I saw him just outside the courtroom after he uh, left the stand after being, you know, doubted and 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 watching the defence trying to confuse him and trick him up and kind of yeah. prove that his memory isn't very credible. And the the abuse has always been established in this case. That's not in dispute. You know, Frank confessed to having abused Brett, but you know, in terms of Brett being a credible witness or so then yeah I saw him I saw him just outside the courtroom afterwards he was wearing a mask and I could see that you know his eyes were were in some pain and I just walked past him and I said thank you and he said I can't talk to you and I said yeah no I know but thank you and and I walked off so we we're hoping this this is a oh, good process for them. I wish I could um, say something. I didn't know what to say. I wanted to say something. Uh, no, we, well, see, this is the thing. It's so important to try and keep separate from this process and the people are not contaminated at all. And it's yeah, yeah. really hard. Because I didn't know what I could say. Well, we're going to be able to say a lot, lot more in just some, some short time. So Brett's testimony finished of the morning of day two. And then Barbara came in in the afternoon. They mentioned on day one that one of the witnesses is coming into a wheelchair. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Would that be? And we found out day two, it was Barbara Taylor, and it was incredible. Was I had no idea. Beautiful moment. So Brett finished testimony on day two, and then the the how do you describe Barbara Taylor, Jake? Like. We find out she's 90 years old. She is a sis. She wasn't in a wheelchair. She she walked assisted by somebody to the witness stand. There was some conjecture actually before she testified about whether she wanted legal advice. And yeah. the prosecution explained to the magistrate that uh, Ms. Taylor had refused legal advice. She wasn't interested. She didn't care whether her evidence would incriminate her criminally and mm -hmm. she was happy just to, to give evidence as it came. So Barbara Taylor, as we just said, was the pastor of the small church and the relative of Brett Sengstock's mother 
and the mother rose and the person that one of the people that rose disclosed you very early in this story about Brett's abuse and so she had then acted to try and contact the men involved and the story is very very interesting over the next 12 months when she came into that room something in my head went she's still going oi because she has been remarkable in being a real dog with a bone and handling Brett from start to finish when she first heard I could tell that How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.